Yes, welcome, welcome, welcome. What's up? What's up? What is up? Back once again. It is the incredible in the black podcast. And in case you weren't aware, this is a podcast dedicated to covering the current events and social issues going on in your black world and covering it all from the perspective of three grown ass men who know if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. I am your host, Big O, Mr. In the Black himself, but you know I can never do this alone. Let me introduce the rest of my support team. L, say what's up, man. <laughs> bump, bump, bump. <laughs> no, no shots tonight, my guy. No shots tonight. <laughs> Crush, say what's up, man. What's good, everybody? No doubt, no doubt. And if you're checking this out on YouTube, make sure that you do us a favor and you finesse that thumbs up button. It's free, it goes a long way. Hit that subscribe so that you don't miss out on the next video. And of course, you can follow us across social media at In the Black PDCST on Facebook, Twitter, and on Instagram. But if you really want to be down, what you need to do is come on over and join the family. But L, tell those folks how they can do that if they want to do that, man. Man, take your asses over to the website. <laughs> we're trying to we're trying to get people to stick with the show. You over here talking bad about all the goddamn time. Go ahead, man. Where I mean, hey, take your, take your ass on over to the website, man. There's a couple of things that you can do here. Uh, first off, there's not a lot of independent black media out there. So when you come across independent black media. In order for that independent black media apparatus to say independent, you got to contribute to what we're trying to build. That's just the reason of it. Uh, we need your help to sustain and maintain what we're building here. And it's a couple of ways that you can do that, right? You can donate directly via the cash app, dollar sign in the black PDCST. It comes right through. We get it immediately. We really appreciate that. But another way of really doing it, man, is becoming a patron. We got a dope account, man, where we got some really fun stuff, some stuff that even your mama can listen to. Well, no, no, no. Well, yeah. <laughs> it depends on who, it depends on who they mama yeah. is. You know what I'm saying? Mama might be down. Yeah, if I know your mama, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> if I know your mama, God. I know your mama. <laughs> We, and we just had a talk last week about Elgin loving these old birds. And here you go coming back <laughs> next week. <laughs> like, if I know you, goddammit. If I know you, brother. Yeah, so yeah. We really appreciate you guys either way coming through and participating, man. Either way. Okay. No doubt. All right. We are joined tonight by a special guest. Um, she is a suicide prevention uh, solutionist and given that yes sir yes sir <laughs> can you behave yourself for once no man i'm just trying to be clear bro i like solutionists and because it is suicide awareness month we thought it would be peak opportunity to have her on the show to help us flesh out some things and answer a lot of questions that we have so please help me welcome nicole watson miss watson 
Come through, Nicole Watson. Come through. Yes, no doubt. No doubt. No doubt. Hey. We appreciate you coming through. Thank you so much for taking the time out, uh, you know, slumming it with some goofballs like us, but helping us to answer the important questions. You're welcome. You, Thanks for having me. Yes, no doubt. No doubt. Now, we are familiar with your work, but please, we'd love for you to tell our audience about yourself and the work that you do. So, hello, audience. <laughs> <laughs> my name is Nicole Watson. I am a suicide prevention solutionist. So um, what I do is I help people who are influencers and community leaders. I help them to prevent suicide in a very communal way. I also work with parents. I help them talk to their kids. I help them find resources. And I talk people out of suicide as well. I have survived over 22 suicide attempts, so I know a little bit about um, being suicidal. I have talked over 3,000 people out of suicide, and I volunteer for suicide prevention organizations. I'm super excited about being here, and that's who I am. No doubt. We appreciate it. Now, I think one of the first questions we have is... I think you answered part of that, but how did you get into this type of work? Was it the fact that you had the issues that you had and it, you thought that you would give back or was it something more to that? So funny story. Um, I just made a video one day because I was like, I need to tell people that this really happened in life and it happens to black people. It's not a white people thing. You know, slaves were jumping in rivers to keep from having to continue to be slaves. This, this mm. ain't no, you know. And so I did the video. And then the video went viral, like back in the day before. This was like 2013. So, mm. you know, there was no TikTok and all that foolishness. So um, I started suicide prevention. Let me back up. So I started suicide prevention because a young lady named Dominique Chandler died by suicide in her dorm room. Mm. And when I saw it, um, she went to William and Mary University in Virginia, I believe. And when I saw it, it just did something to me. And I remember, now I'm about to get real woo-woo, but this is who I am. Uh -oh. um, <laughs> I was doing some research about it. And I came across a page that had another young lady named Eden Wormer who had died by suicide and she was 15. And on the page, I saw a girl named Autumn. And God, what I believe to be God, um, told me to reach out to Autumn. Mm -hmm. I'm, not, I'm not about to reach out to this little white child and have them people calling me talking about I'm trying mm -hmm. to... Baby, you need to call somebody else. Call one of your light-skinned soldiers. Sign them up. And so, <laughs> I was like, I ain't doing that. So, all of a sudden, like, that night, I start coughing and coughing and coughing and coughing and coughing. I'm like, what is wrong with me? And so, I was like, okay, I'm not going to do it. You know, I'll just cough all night. So, a few days went by, and I heard it again. Reach out mm. to Autumn. And I'm like... Mm. Okay, so I reach out to her. I'm like, hey, I don't know you, but I have a message for you. You are important. Your life matters. 
You are loved by God. You are loved by people. Your life is important. All that. So, went to sleep. I'm like, God, leave me alone, homie. I did what you said. I need an unexpected check. I done put myself out here. These white people about to have me arrested. They about to say I'm trying to kidnap their baby. Give me a raise on my job. I, I need a car with a boat on it. Like, I done risked it all for you. So, a few days go by. And one night, I'm on social media. And I got an inbox. And this was before we had, like, message requests and all that. I got, like, a regular inbox. And it was Autumn. And she said, hello. I just wanted to respond to your message. I got on Facebook to tell everybody goodbye. And I saw your message. And immediately I was like, wow. Wait a minute. Wow. And so she wow. began to like pour out her heart and tell me what was wrong and all this stuff. Autumn is my biggest supporter to this day. That's and it. she says all the time, like, Nicole, you saved my life. And so in that moment, I believe that people have supernatural giftings. I believe that people who are really good at basketball have supernatural giftings. I believe that people who are really good at whatever they're good at have supernatural giftings. I believe Serena has a supernatural gifting, you know? And so I was like, wait a minute, something is up with this. And what I, what I know now that I didn't think about then is that when you have been in an arena and you defeat that thing over and over again, you have authority in that realm. Mm -hmm. And so the opposition in that realm recognizes your voice because you are one of the people that beat it. So you are one of the people that the opposition always pays attention to. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, so I'm going to tell my story. Because at this point, I'm in it to win it. And so I told my story. I did a video. It was called My Suicide. And it went viral on YouTube. And then from from then on, I just became like who I am. I started a nonprofit. I started talking to people. Anytime somebody's about to kill themselves, I get a tag on social media. You know, I teach classes. Um, I wrote The Ultimate Suicide Prevention Guide, which is a book that tells you all about suicide and suicide prevention. It's the first one of its kind. I am truly a trailblazer in this space because I do it completely differently than everybody else. I have saved over 3,000 people's lives and I never tell them not to kill themselves. I never say that. I never say don't kill yourself. Never. But they never do because I know that if you come in contact with me, you cannot. That's why you are allowed to come in contact with me. Mm. So yeah. Mm. Interesting, interesting. That's let's keep it funky. That's gotta be a lot of weight. Like to have that calling, right? To have that calling, that's gotta be a lot of weight on your shoulders. Or maybe it's maybe it's just me. I'm maybe I'm perceiving that it's a lot of weight. But to me, that just seems heavy that you've got the quote unquote burden of helping to say literally saving people from death. How do you deal with that? So I actually had a meeting with my therapist today about this. And I'm going to put it to you like this. The burden isn't the work. 
the burden is the world that the work is being done in. Mm. So somebody can call me and I can spend seven hours on the phone with them and that's yeah. fine. I'm good with it. But when I get off the phone, I'm like, oh my God, I spent seven hours with this person. How am I going to make up for the money that I could have made while I was on the phone? Because I got to pay these $276,000 bills to breathe in America. And so the work, because I believe that I have been graced and gifted to do this, it's kind of like doctors, right? When you deliver babies, you deliver babies every day. So you see all the cases in the blood and all the stuff, the coochie juice or whatever. Like It doesn't bother you. <laughs> it doesn't bother you because that's what you do. Whereas mm. somebody like me would be like, I would be traumatized. Yeah. Like a whole baby is about to come out of what? In front of me? <laughs> baby, no. Uh-uh. But <laughs> when you are a doctor and when you do that all the time, you're used to it. And so for me, it's not the work as much as it is the world. And because the world is is what is causing this, it's like a double-edged mm. sword. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm grateful yeah. to do this work, right? But then I'm burdened by the world. But then if I'm the person who knows how to survive and I'm burdened by the world, how much more are people who don't have what I have? The tools I did it. Right. So it's the it's world. Just... It's not the work. Yeah, because the world ain't shit. Uh, let's put it like At that. All. The world, it's not. The world ain't shit. It's a horrible place. Nicole, a couple of things real quick. First off, thank you for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Uh, when you mentioned the number of attempts that you had, I literally had to sit down and think damn, somebody was actually able to survive that many fucking attempts. Like, that's unheard of, I I guess, to me. That's unheard of. But then to see that you actually work in the capacity as a solutionist, right? Not somebody who is an advisor or anything along those lines, a solutionist. And based off of your, I guess we want to use success rate, right? My question for you is, I know how difficult it is as someone who's come out of the church, leadership in the church, all those things. I know how difficult it is to have conversations about sex in the church. I can only imagine how difficult it is to have conversations about people who are in that position where they're desiring to no longer be amongst the living. What are some of the challenges that you faced having those conversations specifically with church folk? So, true story. Okay. I started um, suicide prevention in 2012. The church did not pay attention to me until May of 2022. The month we're in right now. So I was going to say this, that this is 2022. Like, this right here. like you if know. you pull up your calendar and look and where it says right here where we at, the church literally just started paying attention to me this year. I used to beg 
pastors like please let me come and do a workshop a few here and there would like maybe three out of the 250 300 that i asked um but now because the Mm. world is so bad and you know say what you want about about church people in our dna right we know when we are threatened we know when we as a race of people are threatened because we have the dna of the people who survived slavery and the people who were killed in slavery and the people who were in the civil rights movement so in the marrow of our bones where our memory cells are we know that something is coming that is going to try to wipe us out and so now that this feeling is overtaking people including people of faith now they're paying attention so it wasn't necessarily what i did other than being consistent like when you come Mm. over here i've been here I've been here. Yeah. I've been waiting on you. So mm-hmm. now that 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 we about to have a war and everybody gonna want to kill themselves, and now you here, let's go. But I've been here the whole time, and so I think my track record, my consistency, mm-hmm. and my knowledge has made it so that. And you know, that's with anything. You have early Absolutely. adopters, you have late adopters, and the church is often late adopting everything right and so you know everything like they didn't even it took a whole pandemic to make them people download zoom and and learn that you don't have to go to church every week like you can get on the phone you can get on zoom you can go on facebook like the people don't have to come in here every week it took a whole pandemic for them to get that concept that we have been trying to tell them for years you'll reach more people if you get online i'm not gonna do that you know and so that's just the culture you know what i mean Mm -hmm. but i think the times that we're living in that they're just they're just calling for it you know if you heal broken legs and and somebody walks by and breaks ten thousand people's legs or a disease comes it causes people's legs to be broken you become in demand and so that's what's happening i am becoming Mm -hmm. in demand because of the world Mm. i want to stick on this topic of the black church what what has been your biggest challenges i guess with getting them to adapt and listen to your denial Mm. um and when i say denial denial of two things number one denial that is happening and number two that something outside of church is a solution to it oh, 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 oh. denial that black people are killing themselves absolutely absolutely okay. absolutely that doesn't really happen like that and when the news you know they just hype it up and black people really don't do that y'all know black people and i'm like hello mm. black person scars survived it right and so that that is uh that's one but the biggest one is that they don't understand that you need more than than jesus and the bible right you you need and and here's what i tell people you can't spiritually nurture someone 
that you don't naturally care about. So there's a story mm. in the Bible mm. where Jesus was teaching all these people. And Jesus got tired and child had to cut John's head off. John was dead. John didn't have no head. He had a head, but it won't with him. Okay? <laughs> head was somewhere else, child. And so Jesus was like, you know what? I'm about to go because it's just a lot going on. Because Jesus would dip in the story. Like when stuff would be going on. And so the disciples were like, bet, let's go. And so they go away to this secluded place. And the people follow Jesus. And Jesus is like, oh, these people are hungry. And the disciples are like, well, we're not about the childhood. It's late. You done talk to these people. Baby, it's late. We tired. We need to go over here and be us. VIP over here and jesus is like bruh no y'all need to feed these people and they're like we got no food bro we, we got some fish and some some bread and jesus is like well y'all you better make some fish sandwiches because these people need to eat and so jesus understood in the story that you can't preach to people and not care that they're hungry. Yeah. yeah. You can't right. do that. Yeah. Jesus understood that in the story. Mm. People in the church don't understand that. Because in their mind, if you come here and you give me 10% of your money and you do everything I'm supposed to do, your life is supposed to be okay. And if it's not, it's on you. It's not on me. And so then I come in and I'm like, hey, these people want to kill themselves. These people want to kill themselves. And church people are like, what is wrong with them? What is wrong with their faith? What is wrong with their walk with mm. God? And it's like, no, 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 no. Yeah. It's the system. Right. It's the system. You're not mm. doing your part. You gave them one part, but you didn't give them the other part. Go back to the story. Go back to the story. And right. so we have the game messed up because we think that you... being in the black church is you put one in, you get two out. You put a dollar in, you get two dollars out. And if that's the case, baby, I need some dollars. <clears throat> mm, mm, mm. You know, and so that has been my biggest hurdle. Mm. So what kind of middle ground have you come to with most of these churches? I mean, like, I mean, I'm sure at one point they definitely, at this point, they definitely expressed their need for you. And so while they're not expressing to that, what do you think is their breaking point for them in this situation? So this is how I frame it, because what you have to understand is that whiteness and white supremacy has set up a framework within black churches where people come into the church because they want to be the white people of black people. Hold so on, here's take, take, step step that back and say that one more time, though. <laughs> say, say, say that one more time for me. I love when people come on the show and say things that I would say that I don't have to say. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I was just about to cry. <laughs> say, <laughs> say that one more time and explain that for us. No. Emotional. Okay. <laughs> I am a child of the AME Church. I grew up in the AME Church. In the AME church, the church belongs to the people because mm -hmm. the AME church was patterned after the African way. The African way is communal. The African way is we stand in a circle and we are all one. The church belongs to the people. The pastor serves the people. 
baby, let's talk about this this 2022 stuff, right? Mm-mm. So the in, in over time, church has changed, right? And so now, because of white supremacy, black people often cannot and do not make it in life. Okay, they don't get promoted. They don't get whatever they're supposed to have to make them feel whatever because of white supremacy. So they set up hierarchical structures within the church Mm -hmm. so that they can be the white people of black people. And I'm not saying all pastors do that, so don't write me no letters trying to cuss me out because child... But (laughs) if you look at it, that is what they do. That's why churches now have the first family. Y'all know when y'all grew up and y'all went to Greater Mount Pilgrim Tabernacle Missionary Baptist Church, they didn't have no first family. First family? They did not have no first family. They had a pastor and the pastor had some kids and y'all ate on second Sunday afternoon and that was it and everybody was just regular and wasn't nobody more important than nobody else. But baby, now they got first families they got archbishops. They got supreme max surprise bishops. Maybe it's a mess out here. You hear me? Because these supreme, people want to be the white bishop. people or black people. Oh. Honey, they got Mac Daddy Bishop, Daddy Mac Bishop, Big Mac Bishop, elect. <laughs> Baby, it is a mess out here. You hear me? And so, <laughs> to answer the question, I had to tell these people, like, look, you want to be a hero. Right. Let, let me let me let me let me help you. Mm. I'm gonna help you be the best. I'm gonna help you be the GOAT. Child, these people gonna be coming to you like had it not been for my pastor. I would not baby, whatever I got to tell you, I just need you to save these people from killing right. themselves and shooting mm. up in school. Yeah. So if I gotta make you think you Superman, baby, here is your cape. Do you mm. hear me? Here is your cape, right? And so Stop I tell them, listen. You want to be a superhero. You want to save these people's lives. Let me help you connect these people to what they need. So here's what I do. I don't even come to them like, oh, you know, I'm going to teach you suicide prevention. I come to them like, look, people are killing themselves. And I need you to listen to this, what I'm about to tell you. But then I want you to be the person that they can come to when they need something. And I Mm. want you to be so profound in their life that they know that when they come to Cornbread Tabernacle of the Apostolic Faith, that Bishop, Archbishop, Mac Daddy Bishop is gonna take care of them. Mm. And so when I frame it that way, and when I say to them, I am giving you the power to up level your status. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People get it. Yeah. Now there are some people I ain't gotta go through all that. Like when I reach out to so, AME people, I'm like, look, the people about to kill themselves, and you need to help me help them, and I need to help you help them, and this is how much it costs, and are you coming in? And they're like, yeah. And they have a mm. meeting and everybody votes, and it is what it is. But mm. the church is so different. Like it's different, it's different spaces in it. So you have some spaces, like you got the white people, right? 
You got some white people, they cool. They like you. They love you. They, they, they're not racist. They, they love you. They're going to help you. They're going to be an ally. They're going to cuss their granddaddy out and tell him he's a member of the clan. They, they're going to help you. Then you got them white folks. It's like, mm. I mean, I like you because you're not like really like the other black people. It's like, I guess I like really like you. You got <laughs> like they like you, but they don't like us, right? And then you got the rest of them who don't like us. So you got like a mixture, like a melting pot. So the church is the same way. It's a spectrum. So you have people who love Jesus. You got people who kind of like Jesus. And you got people who want to be Jesus. And you got people that think they're Jesus. So I have to find a way to hit every single point. So I applaud you for having that dexterity <laughs> that ability to be adaptive <laughs> like that because yeah, yeah. Uh, you see the big picture you see yeah, that yeah. lives need to be saved Absolutely. but this is a couple of questions because one of the things that I'm curious about in what you're doing have you seen a distinction amongst classes have you seen a higher level of people desiring to die by suicide who are poor or has it been vice versa have you noticed any trends as far as folks who are wealthy you know poor has it been a distinction that you've seen in your work so here's an interesting thing i believe that being suicidal is two part i believe mm. that there is a suicidal that says i don't want to be here God, if you don't want to, if you don't want to wake me up in the morning, I'm I'm cool with it. You know, I ain't got a yeah. clock in tomorrow. And then there's another part that says I am about to jump off this building today. Then there's another one that I just remember. This like I'm about to jump off this building. Me and my kids, and my wife, and my grandma, and my mama. Damn. I think that the People who are used to having, they're the ones who kill themselves and other people. Because when you feel mm. like a failure, you feel like you failed your family. When you're used to having, you don't know what it is to not have. So you don't have the skills to cope with not having because mm -hmm. you've never not had. Adaptive skills, right? right. And so you are the one who says... All of us got to go because I can't take care of you. I'm not going to leave you here for no. If I can't take care of you, who in the world? Who going to take care of you? And so you yeah. have that. I tend to see that in more of the higher class or people who sure. are used to always having something. And then yeah. they don't. Um, the, the poorer people, if you will, the people who don't have <laughs> as much money or as many assets, they tend to live in... I don't want to wake up tomorrow land. Gotcha. I don't want to be in this world. So if a bus hits me and I die, okay. If I get a disease and, you know, everybody's telling me to go to the doctor because I got COVID. Um, like, they're not going to do anything to prolong their lives. Hold on. So and, a real, real talk. So you, you actually run it. I'm not doubting you, but I, I, I want it, to. It's just daunting to me to hear you say that. You run into people that literally are like, they're just apathetic with life. It's like, okay, well, I mean, if something bad happens to me, it's like, oh, well, it is what it is. I've Absolutely. known people like that. 
And I used to walk out in front of city buses in Raleigh and say, hopefully a bus will hit me today. Because you got to remember, killing yourself is an act of courage. I'm not advocating for you to kill yourself. I'm not telling you to kill yourself, child. But for you to take a gun, for you to take 737 sleeping pills, for you to try to hang yourself... Baby, you got to have a nut. You have to literally deny your body's reflexes and instincts Natural and self-preservation, instinct. which is the first yeah. law of nature. Find yeah. no punk out here buying no noose from the store. Okay, ain't no punk yeah. out here doing yeah. that, right? And so, having said that, a lot <laughs> of people that's not where they live. They don't live in, let me go get a gun and blow my head off of you. They don't live there. Their thing is, I just don't want to be here. It's like that kid in class. He's not going to tear up his book. He's not going to throw his stuff on the floor. But he's not going to study for the test because he don't care. He's not going to go out of his way to fail. But he's not going to go out of his way to succeed. He's just going to come to class. He like, Marshawn, I'm just here so I won't get fined. So I don't get fined. That's it. I'm not going to say nothing good. I'm just here. It's an overwhelming apathy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in this climate, you have to think about it. And this is something that I talked to my therapist. And my therapist actually told me that like she told me a lot of stuff. She was like, "Girl, you need to have a fundraiser for your business." Like she's just telling me all this stuff because I'm really going off because she's the only person who understands. I said, "Ma'am, you know I've been doing this for almost a decade. September will make a decade." Hmm. I said, "When people have cancer, and we preface this by saying I'm not telling you to kill yourself. Now I'm telling you now, don't." Sure, sure, sure. I'm telling sure. you that. Okay. But, not but, and. When people have cancer, it is selfish for you to keep them on this planet. If somebody is a vegetable, and they've been a vegetable, and the doctor is telling you they're going to always be a vegetable, baby, it's selfish to keep them on this planet in their suffering. And so I asked my therapist, I said, Miss Ma'am, um, I'm out here. I'm out here paying, yeah. paying yeah. astronomical bills to live, to have this business. This stuff yeah. right here, and see, suicide prevention isn't something you can do part time. You either all in or you you not because you never know mm-hmm. when somebody's gonna need you. So what yeah, you gonna do? Be a BB and T talking about? Thank you for calling BB and T. And then somebody about to jump off a building, and then you got to lie and say you got to pee. You you can't. And so I was like speaking to the apathy. I was like, ma'am, if 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 you would tell a cancer patient, I told my grandma, my grandma had Alzheimer's. Mm. I went in my grandma's room. I said, Ma, I really love you and I thank you for everything you did for me. And if you want to go, you can go. And I will not be upset. And I will be okay. Yeah. And and I I I, I understand. Mm. I, I want you to be happy. I want you to have your mind back. I want you to be able to remember people. I want you to know who you are. And so if that means you have to go, I'm good with it. I'm good with it. If if I would do that for my grandma, 
if somebody calls me and says, Nicole, I don't have anywhere to live. No, 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 no. Let me give you the example I gave my therapist. I'm going to tell you how a penny can ruin somebody's life. You ready for this? Hmm. You ready for this? Go ahead. Are you ready? Ready? A penny. (laughs) Baby, I'm about to tell y'all how a penny can ruin somebody's life. You work for DoorDash and Grubhub because you can't find a job nowhere because Child, these people are not hiring. They say they're hiring. They're not hiring nobody. These people are not hiring nobody? Okay. Anyway. You you work for DoorDash and Grubhub. Okay? You owe $1,500 on your car. Past due. Okay? Your car payment is $250. And it's coming out on Saturday. But you're not going to have it until Monday because you got a DoorDash and Grubhub over the weekend. Mm-hmm. So you put it in as a check because you know it's going to come out on the next day. I mean, on Monday. Mm-hmm. So you DoorDash and you Grubhub all weekend. And you put 200 and $55 in your account. Okay? But something comes out. Apple, Wall Street Journal, baby, something comes out and you end up with $249.99 in your account. Okay? So at the second, let's say that the, the Apple comes out at 11.32. You sleep because you didn't know that Grubhub all day. So the apple come out at 11:32 and the 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 car people try to take your money at 11:35. Baby, it ain't enough money in there so the payment not going to go through. Yeah. So then you you not checking because you got to get up and DoorDash and Grubhub at 5 o'clock in the morning cuz now you got another bill you got to pay. Right. It's the next day. Okay? So you doing what you do? And somewhere along that day, they come and get your car. Okay? Because they're aggressive with the repo. Because it ain't no car inventory. So they they coming Mm. to get everybody's car. Facts. So now, you don't owe $250. Baby, you owe $1,500. Plus the $35 because the check bounced. Now you owe $1,535. And how do you make your money? You DoorDash and you Grubhub. But you can't DoorDash and you can't Grubhub because you don't have a car. So you went from being making it to your life being over because of a penny. Because what you going to do? How you going to pay for anything else? How you going to pay for your rent? How you going to... You're, you're, and God forbid if you were sleeping in the car now you ain't even got nowhere to live yeah yeah. and so you call me and say hey Nicole and you tell me this story and I know that in order for you to get an apartment 
You got to make $1,500 times three. Right. You don't have yeah, no right. car. Yeah. You don't have no way to make it. So this is the world that you want me to beg people to stay in. Baby. Because mm, 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 how, how do you convince somebody to keep suffering when there is nowhere for them to go? There is nowhere for them to live. Even if they have a car, do you know that people have to choose between gas and, 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 and hold on. Every single day. When I say yep. people, I'm talking about people with master's degrees. Yep. I'm talking about people with good jobs. Yeah. I'm talking about because you got to think about it. I know people who started the pandemic paying $900 in rent and now their rent is $1,600 and they live in the exact same place. If your student loans are coming out automatically, if your car is coming out automatically, if all of this stuff is coming out automatically, you can never get ahead, right? So you get up every yeah, day yeah. to go to work to pay for an apartment that you can never live in because you're always at work. And you're depressed, but you couldn't get insurance because that would take too much out of your check. So you don't have health care. So then you get coronavirus and now you sick, but you can't really get what you need. This is the world that I'm sitting here saying, oh, but you just need to stick it out. It's, it, it's going to get better. And so I had to ask yeah. my therapist, like, baby, this is not an act of love. I wouldn't do this for a cancer patient that is suffering. I wouldn't do this for my grandma. I wouldn't tell my grandma to stay in the world where she don't even know who she is. But I'm yeah. telling you to stay in the world where you don't know where you're going to live. You don't know how you're going to put gas in the car. You can't even find formula for your child. Yeah. And that's the conversation mm -hmm. that people are not having, right? No. They're not having the conversations. Because for one, listen, the way that we talk about death in general it's trash. It's awful. Mm -hmm. We have some of the most unhealthy conversations about death, and we typically don't talk about death until motherfuckers are dead, right? We're not yep. having, and then we talk about we want to have preventive, proactive conversations about death, but those conversations only encapsulate talking about wills and life insurances, but we don't have any other conversations about the things that we need to have when it comes to death. And I have my own theories. I think it has a lot to do with, you know, our theology within our community. Take a step back real quick though. What, what other conversations outside of the, the financial part and meaning that, you know, as you as a, as a caregiver, as a provider for your family, what other conversations are you expecting to have? Because I think that most people, I think that for many people that work for a living, that they think that that financial part is probably the most important part, or at least in their minds is the most important part. Of it. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's, and I think that's problematic, right? I think that's problematic in and of itself that the financial part is the primary conversation that you need to have with your family. It's indicative of the current, your family's current financial state, right? Because the life insurance typically is not used to, in the narrative that we're always force fed by black capitalists, that if we had good, you know, that if we had great life insurance, we can double up and our kids will be set up for life. 
based off of the life insurance that we have. Typically, the life insurance policies we have are the bare minimum that barely cover the, the funeral expenses. It's nothing that we can actually use to build a life upon. So what I'm saying, when we, it shouldn't just be financial. Like a lot of our death, of course, is sudden, right? We, a lot of sudden death in our community, but a lot of our death is slow, progressing, hospice, hospital. Those are times where we can be having the conversations that we need to have, right? Because where we can begin. This, if trauma is one of the things that is running rampant throughout our families and our communities, you dying is the perfect opportunity to have a conversation about some shit that needs to be worked out in your family, right? But I'm thinking that most of the times we're not thinking to that level and to that degree. And I think that's something that needs to be cultivated pre-death. That's something that we should be discussing when Nicole comes through and is teaching on suicide. That's one of the conversations that I think I want to have with her. Like, yo, so I don't want to just talk to you about suicide solutions and preventions, but let's talk about death. How do we deal with death in our community? How do we prepare for death? Because it's coming for all of us. It's the one appointment that we all going to keep. So how do we, how do we talk about death within our family structure? Like the effects of death. So that's a conversation that I have with people. Like, so when I'm not going, how do we, na- how do you guys navigate my absence? Mm. Not That's on some on the shit type of thing, but on some, the, the impact that I role that I play in this family. No, no, if no. I'm not here. Makes perfect sense. How does that How do we navigate that? Yeah, that's perfect. You know what I'm saying? Well, I mean, so I think that's question for Nicole. How does you have that conversation yeah. about death then? Perfect. And the other thing to add to what was just said one thing that I do not like that black people do that again comes from white supremacy and slavery and shame we will die with the keys that will set our babies free and if you about to die anyway it's not going to hurt you to give me the key that's going to set me free why do I have to go the rest of my life not having an answer that you could have given me. You leaving here anyway. You're leaving here anyway. And so I think one of the things that's important when we talk about death is that we really have to take it back to our ancestral rule, our the way that our ancestors were, right? So if you look at Yusera Ma'at Ray Mary Amun, he was Ramses Third. He talked about how he patterned his life after Ramses II and how he carved his name so deeply in the rocks that no matter what would happen, his name would never be live erased yeah, because he forever. knew he was not going to be here. So he took the time to etch his story, to etch his thoughts, to etch his his beliefs, to etch his plans into the stone so that today you can go to his tomb. You can go to the place where he carved his stuff and it will say, you Sarah, my aunt, Ray, Mary, Moon. It will say that in the right. It is still there. And when it comes to death, 
we have to understand that death is something that is going to happen. It is something that we cannot avoid. I don't advocate for anybody taking their life, but at the end of the day, it's your life. It's not mine. Mm. Mm. And I feel like if we were more open about death as a whole, people would be more open to say, I want to die. Hmm. Okay, so and let me ask I you a question. I know. You and say, and, and not be like, oh my God, the, the, the blood of Jesus. No. Okay, let's talk about why you want to die. Hmm. So, all right, let me ask you this question. I know you said that you don't advocate for people to die, but I'm presuming, based on what you're saying, that you are an advocate for uh self-euthanization if i guess if that's the word because i know that like in switzerland they have a program where if you want to kill yourself the state will help you or they'll bring somebody to talk to you walk you through processes in terms of trying to not necessarily trying to stop you but seeing if you are quote unquote in the right mental frame of mind and if you aren't or if you if they deem that you're not if you're deemed that you're a candidate, they'll allow you to kill yourself. Is that something that you would say that you subscribe to? That I know you said you don't advocate for, but is that something that you would subscribe to? Self euthanization or whatever. So here, here's here's my thing. Here's my thing. I believe that your life is your life, and I believe that if God gives you dominion here. And if God gives you free will, whatever you do with your life, it is your life. The only thing I know for sure is that if you come across me, me, there is more to your life to be lived. That's why you came across Mm. me. Right? Mm. I know that. I, I don't care if you, I done talk to people who done shot themselves and the bullet grazed their head. I done talk to people who were standing on the bridge. I done talk to people who took all the sleeping pills. I don't care what you did. If you talk to me, because I understand who I am and I understand why I'm here. So if you talk yeah. to me, baby, your tail is not about to die. Not about no, mm. su- not about no suicide, because that's why you talk to me. I'm, I'm, I'm me. This is what I do. But when it comes to other countries and other other places, I believe that they honor death and they honor the fact that sometimes the greatest thing a person can do when they are terminally ill, when they have, you know, whatever going on is leave the earth on their terms with dignity. Mm. I did not realize until... I saw a cancer patient die. Mm. How horrible. Baby, when I tell you, I would not wish that on anybody. You are laying in the bed gasping for air. You are in pain all over your body. I remember the first person I ever, and I didn't see this person die. This person was dying. Because, you know, it's a process. I walked in the hospital on the elevator. And, you know, the elevator is away from the rooms. It's like the elevator, then it's this little section. 
then it's the rooms. I got off the elevator. I could hear her screaming in agony, like somebody had set her on fire. And I was like, walked in the room. She was breathing all funny. And they were like, yeah, that's the death rattle. And I'm like, the what? Because I ain't know nothing about this. And they're like, the death rattle. I'm like, oh, my God. And when you experience something like that and you see the agony that somebody is in, you know, when you read the story of Jesus and he's like, into your hands, I commend my spirit. He ended his life. He was like, dude, I... And so I completely understand why some countries allowed that to happen. And I think we need to have a real conversation about the fact that, okay, I'm about to be real honest. Y'all ready for this? Okay. So up until, what's this, 2022, up until maybe November of last year, out of every seven days, I only wanted to be alive maybe three. Maybe three. Maybe. Heavy. All the Heavy. rest of the time. Mind you, I'm saving everybody else. And I'm, but I'm like, I don't I don't want to do this. Like, I don't. It, it yeah. is hard when, and, and my depression is a lot better now because I have removed myself from the church in a lot of ways. I have gotten rid of a lot of abusive sure. people in my life. So my mental health is like, a, it ain't A1, it's like A1.7. But you, if you don't know, and, and I'm drawing the comparison between a terminal illness, illness like cancer and a mental, like I was diagnosed with major depressive disorder when I was 23. Every day of my life, I cried. Every day of my life for like a decade, mm. I cried every day. When I when when my eyes yeah. open in the morning, I cried because I'm like, here's another day of somebody abusing me, somebody degrading me, somebody telling me that I'm nothing, somebody trying to sabotage mm. everything I do. Here's another yeah. day of people not treating me right. Here's another day of struggling. Here's another day of being homeless. Whatever it was. And the people who tell you to stay here, they're not helping you with what's going on. And that's the issue that I have. The issue that I have is that if you are going to tell me to stay here, can you help me deal with what I got going on? If you are going to tell me that I need to wake up another day, can you teach me how to deal with being sad and being depressed? And then when you look at um, Chesley, the girl who jumped off the building, that's what she said. I cried every day. Mama, I know you love me, but you cannot fix this for me. You cannot fix the fact that every day of my life I'm sad. Every day of my life I feel lonely. Regardless of how many people are there, regardless of what's going on, in my head, every day I'm sad. Mm. And so to me, if I can't help you with your situation, what am I prolonging your suffering for? Because you wouldn't do that to anybody else. And so I think people in other countries grasp that concept. But you also have to remember that in those other countries, they take better care of people. 
Facts. In those true. other countries, people don't have to worry about how they're going to live and how they're going to survive. In those other countries, people have health care. They have good jobs. They have all of that. So I think that in those other countries, if 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 you are at that point, they know that you are really at that point because they did all they could do to, mm. to keep yeah. you here. Understood. All right. I want to do, I do want to take an opportunity to ask you about that. What place do you think mental health plays in suicide suicide prevention, but plays in the whole mix of it? Because you did, you were very honest with me and I appreciate your, you being as transparent as you've been about your depression and so on. And I bring that up specifically because we've had these mass shootings that have happened recently, the one in Buffalo and unfortunately the one in Ovaldo, Texas. And the 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 notion, the narrative of mental health continues to come up, and we think that in both and in both cases, both of the shooters either died or attempted to take their own life. That doesn't just come out of nowhere. So, what what role do you think mental health plays in suicide and suicide prevention? I'm about to tell y'all something, and y'all probably gonna think I'm crazy. But I have been saying, I stopped watching mainstream TV in 2011 because my cable bill was high. And I'm like, I'm not paying this high tail cable. So I just stopped watching TV. <laughs> like, you, know, <laughs> you know, a lot of people have these stories. That's like, not crazy. So That's not crazy at all. Nah. Like, you know how people, they be at my, they so woke and like Muhammad Ali or, or something, Nelson Mandela, somebody knocked on their door and like revealed something to them. <laughs> Baby, no, my cable bill was high. And I was like, mm. And so I see things differently. This is what I know. When you want to be a pilot, you get on this computer and you do this simulation and you learn how to fly a plane. And so when you get on the actual plane, something kicks in. But what kicks in is what you learn how to do on the computer because that's where you did the most hours learning how to fly a plane. I'm going somewhere. If you take a baby and you give them a simulation that teaches them how to kill people, that teaches them how to hide, that teaches them how to look for weapons, that teaches them where all of the ops will be that they need to shoot. And then you couple that with the fact that white nationalist groups recruit people on these games. And you think about the fact that, let's do the math. Let's say you, Mm -hmm. let's say you're 10. Let's say you're 10. Let's say you play video games for 10 hours a week. Okay? I'm about to do the math. Right now. With y'all. So you 10. <laughs> 10 hours a week. 52 weeks a year. That's 520 hours of training a year. That's a lot. Times 8 years from 10 to 18 or whatever. 8 years. 
That's 4,160 hours of training. Okay? So, when you look at pilots and you look at how much time they spend on the simulators, it's 40 hours. Okay? Now let's think about that. Let's 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 think about that for a minute. They regularly have to do hours on the simulator, okay? To learn how to fly a plane. Mm-hmm. Sure. They do hundreds of hours before they become pilots, mm-hmm. but then they keep it up even when they're not flying, like during the pandemic. When, mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. If you're a kid and you spent 4,160 hours at minimum training on how to kill people, you very well could have mental illness, right? But what kicks in is your training. Hmm. Okay. That's what kicks in. So it's not... It is unfair. You have to be crazy to go to the to the to the grocery store and murder people. Nobody's right. denying that. You have to be mentally ill to kill grandma at the hood grocery store. You you mm-hmm. have to be. Mm-hmm. But it's not the mental illness that made you do that. It is the trigger within yourself that when it was activated, it went to the training. It went to the programming that people like that are being fed on a daily basis. And so because it's not in me to kill people, it's not in me. Now, now if you walk up on me, you know, but it's not in me to kill people. <laughs> I mean, you know, people be like, oh, Nicole said, baby, I will bust a... But listen... <laughs> Because that's not in my nature. Sure. If if that happens, like if, if I get triggered, I'm not going to default to that. Mm. And so the narrative leans towards the mental illness because we can't really tell the truth about the training. Because how many people would lose money if we told the truth about what sitting down for eight years and learning how to hide and learning how learning about ammunition and learning about the different guns and learning about where to go so the people don't see you and learning how to use a scope and learning mm. how to shoot from the furthest distance. If we tell the truth about that, baby, the people ain't gonna have no money. Mm. So we have to say that it is mental illness because we can't tell the truth that we are literally training people to be mass murderers. Because if your brain isn't developed enough to understand that you're playing a game, 
you become completely desensitized to what you're doing before your brain catches up to even understand the magnitude of what you're doing. That's why you can be 18 and get an AR-15 and go and blow kids to smithereens, and it don't mean nothing. You could you spend eight years blowing people to smithereens on the game. The people be bleeding on the game. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. One of the questions that I do have is in terms of challenges when you're talking to to these people what would you what would you say is one of the biggest hurdles that you have just having conversation having this conversation we you did a very good job of explaining that you're not an advocate but if they're in your life if they come across your path you're going to do what you need to do to make sure that they don't that they have that they recognize that they have a purpose but in the process of doing that what has been the biggest challenge for you so i would say two things number one um the demand so people don't understand that when you do this work you still have to be sustained you still live somewhere you still you have to eat you have bills you have to pay and so like i'm always on and then like when i ask people for help Oh, I, baby, but you tag me every time, you know, and so that is 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 a hurdle. But I'm addressing it, you know. My therapist then told me like you you need to, <laughs> and she said that she was like, if if two white boys wanted to start a gummy bear business, they're gonna get on social media and ask people for money, and the people gonna get, baby ask anyway. Okay, and so the second hurdle is um. People don't have hope. If you look long term, and and I'm 37. I know I look like I'm 11. 13. 13. 13. We'll go 13. 12 and a half. Okay. I know. The difference. I dig it. I know. <laughs> I look like a toddler. But <laughs> I'm 37 and a half. So, I remember when it was true in the world that you went to college and you got a job and you did amazing. Hmm. Baby, we don't live in that world. What we gonna do when we get older? Where we gonna live? What house are we about to buy? <laughs> Ain't gonna be nothing here. Baby, it's all gonna be gone. Where we? Jesus Christ. Where, where are we gonna work? How, how that if it is rent gonna be three thousand dollars a month next year? Is the gas yeah. gonna be ten dollars? Like, and so when you think about mm. hope, what am I, what, what am I telling people? So, like, Martin Luther King, now I ain't gonna really tell you how I really feel about Martin Luther King because, child, don't do it. Martin now. <laughs> Martin. But I follow his 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 child on Twitter. So I'm gonna let, I'm gonna let that go. But Martin, young man, young man, young man of God. But anyway, Martin Luther King gave people hope. And and kinda it's better. Kinda. So okay. Right? Barack Obama and that whole 
you know, gave people hope because it's a black person. He up there, right? Baby, it ain't no other hope. Like it, it. And so one of the hurdles, my therapist told me that I really have to focus on building the world that I want people to stay in. Mm. And I said, well, baby, we can't do that together. We got to do that apart. We have to do that apart. We can't do that together. And so the hurdle is being realistic about the world we're in yeah. and working on the world we need to be in. Because mm, I, I can't just promise you in the sweet by and by it's going to be all right. But I'm not oh. over here preparing a place for these people to 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 be in and mm. so just kind of figuring out i don't feel people hope mm. you know what i'm saying so like even when the election was going on and i'm not gonna get political but i am gonna say this when everybody was like oh my gosh when we vote for the other people everything's gonna be okay and i'm like no it's not we still gonna live in the same place what are y'all talking yeah, still gonna still live in the same, same place <laughs> If you in prison and you get a different owner, are you not still in prison? So now you get cupcakes with every meal, but you still in prison. You, you know what I'm saying? And so I don't give people, well, if you just hold on, everything is going to be better because it may not be. So the hurdle is being honest enough with people to, to keep them here but to not push them over the edge. Interesting. Like keeping my honesty in that balance where they're like, okay, well, you know, I'll give it another day, you know. Um, because I do believe that there that a better world is possible, but we're not gonna get to it with we we're gonna have to create it by ourselves. And so yeah, that's the hurdle. The the balance of the honesty. Miss Watson, thank you. We want to say thank you for taking the time out. Yeah, you some 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 heavy you did some heavy lifting today, boy. I tell you. I want to say thank you for taking the time out. Please, before before we get out of here, we want to make sure where can people find you if they want to find you? Your work, how can they contact you if they're looking for help? How can they support you? Yes. How can they contribute to what you're doing? Cash App, Venmo, PayPal, whatever you got, drop all yep, of lay that. Lay it all out. Lay it all out. Please. That was so kind. Well, thank y'all so much for this opportunity. This has been amazing. Y'all know I love black folks. And I don't care <laughs> what they say about black men. Y'all three. Specifically. <laughs> y'all are all right. Okay, no doubt. I, I'll thank you. That. Thank you. Two, out of, two out of three ain't bad. <laughs> <laughs> Can't speak for everybody else, but y'all three. Right. No doubt, no doubt. Y'all not like the other podcast boys. <laughs> oh no, no, thank God, no. Not like that. No. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. But yeah, but go ahead. Tell us everything that you, um, everything you're working on, and what so, you got. Now. So I'm doing, um, uh-oh. so I'm doing my, um, my suicide prevention training for faith-based leaders. You can find that at preventionclass.com. Um, my website is nicolewatson.com. 
My website for parents is conquerwithnicole.com. That's also my Instagram for parents where I teach cyber safety, anti-bullying, and suicide prevention. Um, my cash app and my Venmo are both Nicole Watson. And um, my PayPal is paypal.me slash Nicole Watson. So it's just Nicole Watson. Like if you type in Nicole Watson, baby, it's all going to come up because it's just me. It ain't no other. Yo, tell them, tell them how to spell it too, because I know that we've got the video, but some people might be hearing this on the audio. It's not reg- oh, It's not the regular quote unquote Nicole. So go ahead. If you on Spotify and Apple and all them places, it's N A apostrophe capital K O L E N A apostrophe capital K O L E Watson W A T S O N. If you put that. In the Google machine, baby, it's all. <laughs> I promise you, honey, it is all there. <laughs> it's there. No doubt, no doubt. Thank you, man. Crush, where can folks find you if they want to find you, man? Oh, you can find my Instagram as usual at SP Methods. No doubt. L, where can folks find you if they want to find you, man? I'm only hanging out on Twitter these days. So, uh, at Elgin Bailey. No doubt. And I'm Big O, Mr. In the Black himself. You can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at MR underscore In the Black. And I want to thank you guys again for joining us for another incredible episode of the In the Black podcast. You could have been anywhere else in the world, but you chose to kick with us tonight. We really appreciate it. Make sure you follow us across social media at In the Black PDCST on Facebook, Twitter, and on Instagram. Make sure you think about at least consider coming on over and joining the family at our Patreon. You will not regret it. But as always, until next time, informed, intelligent, in the In the black. In the black. Peace. This. This is this is the In the Black podcast. In the Black, bro. Hands down, one of the best podcasts I ever heard, though. I like y'all. what up? I read a black coffee, Bretchen. Listen, in the black podcast, they all lied. It's all facts. You don't like that? The fault fact. In the black podcast, don't talk trash. Switch fast if you ain't wrong. The whole intelligent elements always relevant. Not for the weak and delicate. This is eloquent excellence. We are setting the precedence. Resting them my excrement. In the black podcast, the truth like the testament. Don't know, black up he bro, man a specialist. No what the podcast broadcast, y'all mess with this. Like said they my cheat, who no dweed so effortless. I listen them, I learn, man, them listen them, I benefit. Reporting current event, everything that is prevalent. This is so exquisite, a scientific experiment. Giving you the news, not views without evidence. Telling you the truth, sentiments without embellishments. Relax, these are the facts, bringing them to your residence. In your house or your tenement, listen to hear intelligence. Body filled with Melody power that's so ascending bright in the stars bringing some light back to the desolate in the black podcast that your land is all facts you don't like that the fuck back in the black podcast they fucked up who looks like watch black up here chat me young flop in the black podcast that your land is all facts you don't like that the fuck back in the black podcast we all lost the whole of them can none of them can control just like that though. Yeah, man, I'm so glad you're coming. Stay in the black himself. What up, DJ? This boy black. This is.
This is...